Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to The Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, here to bring you some more good, scary ghost stories. Welcome back, one and all, and thank you for tuning in for this next episode of The Haunted Collection. I have a couple of, I think, really decent ghost stories. One just a little bit tad gruesome. (laughs) But before we get into that, I just want to invite you, like I always do, to visit my website, myhaunteddolls.com. There you can shop at my store. And purchase any of my books that I've written. Get your autographed copy. You can follow the link in the shop to Redbubble, where I have my store for merchandise such as t-shirts, hats, uh, dresses and skirts, pillows and shower curtains and pet accessories, phone accessories, all kinds of things out there with my uh, creepy artwork and the logos for my haunted dolls and also for this podcast the haunted collection so please visit there make a purchase and show your support today while you're at it go ahead and go to my youtube channel my haunted dolls be sure to subscribe and watch and like the videos out there i've got a lot of video sessions of the haunted items that i've collected where i do electronic voice recordings capture some evidence been getting a lot of creepy anomalies lately in the videos, so please check that out. And thank you, as always, for your support. Speaking of subscribing, if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, please be sure to do that so you can get notified whenever an episode is posted. And now let's get on to our first story, which is sort of a more of a railroad haunting in our ghostly travel stories. I I love a good haunted railroad and haunted road story, and this one is one of the creepier ones. It is called The Warning Light. Back in the days of steam trains, there was a type of railroad workman known as a bummer brakeman, and the bummer used to quite literally bum around. Or, that is, he would go from one rail line to another as his spirit moved him. Most bummers were young men who were still restless and looking for adventure. They had not felt the need to settle down to a steady job. They had no family responsibilities and enjoyed the freedom of being able to see as much of the country as they liked. Since most rail lines were always in need of a good brakeman, bummers rarely had any trouble finding work. One such bummer, Chuck Tolley by name, had a very scary experience that caused him to change the way he lived. 
Tolly was well known in upstate New York. At one time or another, he had worked on practically every rail line in the area, and he showed no signs of settling down. On a particularly nasty and rainy evening, Tolly was traveling to a new job. He was sitting in the caboose of a train. The caboose was the last car, in case you're not familiar with trains, and the place where members of the crew would stay when they were off duty. Tolly was waiting for a friend of his, the regular brakeman on the run, to finish inspecting the cars. He expected his friend to come in at any moment, and the two would drink some coffee and swap stories about life on the railroad. Tolly was just thinking about what a terrible night it was to be climbing around on the top of the cars when the train hit a sharp curve. The rain had washed out part of the rail bed and weakened the tracks, so that when the train rounded the curve, the first dozen cars were derailed. Since this was a freight train, there were no passengers to be injured. All the members of the crew were also uninjured, all except one. When the derailment occurred, Tolly's friend, the brakeman, had been on top of the train. He was thrown down between the cars. Tolly found him, or rather what was left of him, on the ground near the track. His head had been cut off in the impact. A gruesome sight. Tolly and the members of the crew picked up the body and put it in the baggage car. They could not find the head anywhere. Tolly went back up the line to warn off any train that might be following them. As soon as the truck was repaired, the train went on. The accident was a gruesome and terrible one, but not completely unexpected. Keeping the railroads running under all kinds of weather conditions could be a dangerous job, and many men lost their lives in similar accidents. Tolly knew and accepted the dangers, yet seeing his friend killed in such a horrible way had its effect. The bummer brakeman began to think about settling down, perhaps getting married and having a family. And being young, he thought he had all the time in the world. But now he realized that the future was always uncertain. Tolly became a fireman instead, and then an engineer. On an engineer's pay, he figured he would be able to support a family. He still had to move around from place to place, but now he went where the company sent him, not where he felt like going. Still, he always tried to avoid the run where the accident happened. He wasn't a superstitious man, but he just didn't feel comfortable going back to a place 
which held such bad memories. A few years after he had become an engineer, Tolly was assigned to that very run. He objected, of course, but his boss just would not listen. In the end, Tolly figured he had to take what he was given, whether he liked it or not. By then, the trains were running a lot faster than when he had been a bummer brakeman. Still, every time he came to that curve where his friend had lost his head, Tolly slowed the train down in spite of himself, especially on rainy nights. I'm not afraid, he would say. I'm just careful. Tolly traveled on that run for several years, and nothing unusual ever happened. He was almost able to pass by the scene of the accident without thinking about it. Almost, but not quite. One rainy March evening, as Tolly's train approached the fatal curve, he saw a red warning light on the track ahead. He brought the train to a grinding, screeching halt and told his fireman to go up the line and investigate. The fireman came back and said that he did not see a red light or anything else unusual and that they should just start the train up and go on. Tolly was not satisfied. He decided that he would investigate himself though it was really not proper for an engineer to leave his train. As he climbed out of the cab, he saw a red light bobbing over the track. The light seemed to be coming from an old-style red globe lantern, a type that trainmen had not used for years. Tolly's own white lantern was swinging by his side as he walked. Tolly kept his eyes on the red light. As he drew closer, he could see the lower part of a man's body faintly illuminated in the glow. The body appeared to be wearing the regulation blue coveralls of brakemen. Tolly ran forward and shouted, What's the matter? What's wrong? There was no reply. Tolly raised his own lantern to see why the other fellow did not answer. The reason was obvious enough. The figure in the blue overalls, carrying the old-style red globe lantern, had no head. Its neck only a bloody stump. Then the figure disappeared. Tolly found himself standing there alone on the track in the midst of a howling rainstorm. He knew the figure he had seen was that of his old brakeman friend. He also knew that the specter had appeared for some reason. Tolly walked up the track a little farther, around a sharp bend. He found a large boulder that had been loosened by the March rains 
and had rolled onto the track. A collision with the boulder would have caused a terrible accident with the train. Tolly knew that the headlights of his locomotive would never have picked up the boulder in time for him to stop. If it had not been for the red warning light, there surely would have been an accident. The boulder was much too large for the train crew to remove from the track, and a special wrecking crew had to be called in. They got a big laugh out of Tolly's story of a headless brakeman. They simply thought that his nerves had been shattered by such a close call and that he had been seeing things. Tolly, however, knew what he had seen. He also knew that he could never again work on the railroad. He had been given one warning, but he might not get another. That next morning, Chuck Tolley handed in his resignation. being out there in the dark rain and coming across a figure in the dark carrying a lantern no head and a bloody stump for a neck but that reminds me of a lot of haunted railroad stories I've heard even one not far from me in Jasper, Alabama has a haunted railroad story and there's a more famous one in Tennessee about a a light that's been seen for years even to this day where a man was killed on the train track, and they say it's his ghost warning people away. So a lot of towns, a lot of cities have those stories, but I enjoy hearing all of them. This next story brings us back to the road, and it's called The Ghost of the Great North Road. Two hundred years ago, the fastest traffic on Britain's Great North Road, which ran from Edinburgh to London, were the mail coaches, and the fastest coachman was Tom Driffield. When Driffield fell in love with young Nancy, the daughter of a Yorkshire farmer, and whom everyone called Nance, her parents were delighted despite the fact that he was some 15 years older than their daughter. Driffield was not only at the top of his profession, he was also known as a man of exceptional kindness and generosity. Nance herself was at first flattered by the coachman's attentions. To drive the fastest mail coach on the Great North Road seemed to her to be very exciting and romantic. She was willing to overlook the difference in their ages and the fact that he was quite an ordinary-looking man. In fact, aside from his great skill as a driver, Tom Driffield was just what he looked like, a very ordinary man. 
but Nance did not see this at first, and she agreed to marry him. Their intention to marry was to be announced on the last Sunday in April in the church in the village of Sheriff Hutton, where Nance lived. Driffield himself could not be in church that day, as he had to make one of his regular runs on the Great North Road. Normally, the only ones to attend church at Sheriff Hutton were villagers, people Nance had known all her life. But on this particular day, there was a stranger in the church. He was a young, slender, and elegant-looking man. Though no one knew who he was, the stranger was immediately taken to one of the pews reserved for members of the gentry. The usher in the church simply assumed that so richly dressed a figure could not possibly be a commoner. From the moment Nance caught sight of the stranger, she could not take her eyes off him. Her sister, Prue, even scolded her. You're staring, Nance. It's not polite. Who is he? whispered Nance. Oh, some gentleman down from London, said Prue. He's been staying at the inn since Thursday. All through the service, Nance kept sneaking glances at the handsome stranger. And was it only her imagination? He seemed to be looking over at her. After the service, many of the villagers gathered around Nance outside of the church to congratulate her on her upcoming marriage. But Nance barely heard them. She kept looking over at the church door, waiting for the stranger to come out. And he did. But instead of walking off toward the inn, as might be expected, he walked directly toward Nance. Removing his hat, he said, Ma'am, I believe I have the honor and pleasure of addressing the young lady whose marriage was announced this morning. Nance was so embarrassed that she could barely answer. Ma'am, he said, may a stranger offer one of the prettiest girls he's ever seen his most cordial wishes? Your future husband is the most fortunate of men. Though it was not immediately obvious to the friends and neighbors who stood around Nance that April morning, her life had been changed forever. Next to this radiant stranger, Tom Driffield, the coachman, seemed unbearably old and dull. Three days later, the village of Sheriff Hutton was alive with gossip. Nance had run off with the stranger. She left a note for her parents and one for Tom Driffield. She begged his forgiveness though she did not expect it. Driffield accepted the news calmly. He went back to driving his coach and never said a word against Nance. In December, he married a girl from the village of Trask. No one heard anything of Nance. It was as if she had dropped off the face of the earth. On a miserably rainy day in March of the following year, Driffield was driving his coach south and was a few miles from York 
when he saw a woman with an infant in her arms standing on the side of the road. Though she looked as if she had been aged 20 years and under a year, Driftfield immediately recognized Nance and reined his horses to a stop. Both Nance and her child were obviously very ill. She was so weak that she could only whisper the words, Dear Tom. Driffield took them to York, where he found a room for the sick woman and her child, and brought a doctor to see them. The doctor's report was grim. He did not believe that either Nance or her child could survive for long. That night, Driffield sat by Nance's bedside. He asked no questions and never complained about having been betrayed. Nance, however, wanted to tell her story. It was a sad and terrible one. The handsome stranger turned out to be a highwayman, a robber. After going through a marriage ceremony and finding herself pregnant, she discovered that he was already married, and he soon abandoned her. She had worked as a servant for a while, but when the baby was born, she was turned out and had wandered the countryside until Driffield found her alongside the road. Driffield left Nance in the care of the landlady and promised to return on his next trip north. When he did, he was told that both Nance and the baby had already died. The landlady told Driffield that before Nance died, she said, Dear Tom, he never uttered a word of reproach. Tell him that to repay his kindness, I will come back to help him. And the landlady added, She'll keep her promise. You see if her words don't come true, young man. Nothing unusual happened for two years. Then one day, Driffield was given a special commission. He was to pick up four very important passengers in Durham and drive them to York. The passengers were extremely anxious to get to their destination as quickly as possible. They offered Driffield five times the usual fare if they could arrive in York by eight in the morning, or in the evening actually. It would be a near thing and no other driver could accomplish the feat but Driffield felt that if the weather held, he might just be able to make the trip in time. All went well until about 6.30, when the coach was seven miles from York and ran into a thick fog. Driffield told his passengers that unless the fog cleared quickly, it would be impossible to reach York by eight. The passengers insisted that their trip was a matter of life and death and offered to double the amount of money they had already promised. It's not a matter of money, said Driffield. Driving in heavy fog is dangerous and it wouldn't do much good if we were killed. Still, if you say it's so urgent, I'll try. When Driffield climbed back up into the coachman's box, 
he found another figure already there. It was Nance, and she had the horse's reins in her hands. She shook them, and the horses took off at a gallop. For seven miles they raced wildly through the swirling fog. The passengers inside the coach were groaning and crying out in alarm, but Driffield had absolute faith in the coach's driver. He was sure Nance would keep her promise. And so she did. The coach arrived at its destination at five minutes to eight. The passengers were almost speechless with fright. Finally, one of them said, We never thought you would drive through such a thick fog at breakneck speed. I'll wager no other gentleman in England have ever had such an experience. Triffield laughed. No other gentleman in England have ever had such a coachman. That was the first of many appearances that Nance made to Driffield. When he retired and turned the coaching business over to his son, he told him the story of Nance and said that he was sure she would come to his aid as well. There is no record that Nance ever appeared to Driffield's son, but his grandson reported how the ghost had once saved him from a group of highwaymen by standing in the road and alerting him to the planned ambush. The Great North Road, which was once used by horsemen and coaches, has been turned into a major highway for automobiles. But even today, from time to time, drivers report that they have been warned of possible danger or otherwise helped by the appearance of a young woman wearing 18th century clothes. Tom Driffield's act of kindness seems to have survived the centuries. a good story too not quite as frightening but very amazing amazing story and still spooky I wonder if people still see the ghost of Nance on that highway today perhaps they do but at least she's a wonderful spirit trying to help people and so now we'll end the episode and I appreciate you tuning in again be sure to check out my website myhaunteddolls.com and my Redbubble store and the YouTube channel, My Haunted Dolls, and be sure to subscribe. And uh, please, when you're out there traveling on those roads, those highways, maybe even near a railroad and you spot a creepy light, might want to stay in your car and don't go investigate it. You might find a headless specter standing there waiting for you. Or maybe a helpful ghost, but I wouldn't take any chances. (laughs) And so, 
Please be sure to keep those doors and windows locked, but have a pleasant evening and happy hauntings.